Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast includes highlights from the winter 2022 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte, North Carolina. But first, meet John Hopper. He serves as Area Director for Search Ministries in Houston. He encourages those with questions about God, faith, and theology to bring those questions to the Lord and seek out biblical answers. Then it's back to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Winter 2022 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte, where I chatted with Christina Custodio. Facing the possible death of her teenage son, she looked to the Lord, who gave her peace during those devastating circumstances. Find out more about what she has learned ahead. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, there are more comments from the winter 2022 CPE show as Beth Guckenberger of Back to Back Ministries stopped by to share about the mission's work of that ministry and to highlight how spiritual warfare and advancing against the enemy are critical components of a Christian's walk. Finally, it's important to recognize how spiritual dynamics can be at play relative to the health and nutrition arena. That's according to physician Sheila Kilbane who in a CPE conversation highlighted some valuable information for mothers regarding their children's health. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. John Hopper is with Search Ministries and serves as the area director for Houston. He's the author of the book entitled Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking, and in a recent Meeting House conversation, he commented on some of those thought-provoking questions, including the existence of God, the nature of suffering, and more. From that conversation, here now is John Hopper. Well, Search is involved in about oh, 21, 22 cities across the country, and uh, they've been doing what they do for about 45 years. And so as a result, there's a there's a pattern to the questions that we get asked. So. Mm. People, people sometimes ask me, how, how do you answer people's questions? And I say, well, they, they generally ask the same questions. So, <laughs> um, and so this book really captures those questions. I, I, there's certainly questions that people ask that are not found in this book. But for the most part, the questions that, uh, that you see in the book are, are the questions that search staff across the country have heard over and over again. So um, they're not just questions we made up. They're questions that we hear when we're in conversations with people. And one of the big areas, as I understand it, this is no surprise, but people do say they do not believe in the existence of God. So let me ask you a, a, a question here, a little side okay. trip here. But do people, they, they claim not to believe in God, or mm. is it just a matter of them believing there is a God, but they just don't want to follow him, or they're, they're mad mm. at him because of what may have happened in the past, or they're blaming him for, for something? Is it a matter of people just flat out not believing in God, or mm. is it people flat out just not wanting to, to turn to him, or they don't like what he's done? You know, most people today still, when you look at the surveys, uh, still believe in some sort of higher power. It might be really vague, <laughs> but but there are some, right, who just sort of are adamant that there is no God, that it's nothing but a, a fairy tale, that's sort of a Santa Claus, a Claus story. But um, in either case, whether people don't believe in God or whether they've kind of made God in sort of a, into a vague force, I think uh, there is some motivation sometimes, not always, but there can be motivation where people just don't want 
there to be an authority figure, mm. I say, in their life, someone who I might call the shots. And so by making God real vague, a vague force, or by just sort of doing away with God altogether, well, that just kind of takes uh, that authority out of the picture. Um, so I think there can, there can be motivations like that behind uh, a stance of not believing in the existence of God. So as we think about God's existence, in fact, having seen a film that came out several months ago, One Man Show of uh, Max McLean, depicting C.S. Lewis. And Lewis, if you're familiar with his conversion story, there was a period of time where he was, well, he was saying that he believed in God, but he did not believe in Jesus. So hmm. as we look at people that perhaps say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I believe in God. Yeah, that God's God's fine with me. They might believe in God, but they don't believe in Jesus as the only way to God, the way to salvation, to experience a relationship with God. How do you interact and communicate with someone who is in, as we might say, that state of mind? Yeah, well, first of all, I would say that for many people, it's a, it's a bit of a two-step process, in particular if they've come from a non-religious background. They they may have not really had any reason to believe in God, and then they they start to maybe be confronted with certain evidences or certain experiences in their life. They go, you know, I think there's something out there. Um, but that's still shy of believing in Christ as sort of the Son of God, as, as you mentioned. So that's, that's kind of another step. That was a step that Lewis had to make and, and many people have had to make. So, I mean, I think it begins, first of all, by looking at the historical record of Jesus. So no reason to believe that he's the son of God come to earth if he didn't really exist in the first place. So to just sort of take a look at what the record says about Jesus. And, and we see that certainly in the, in what we would call the gospels that sort of our biographical uh, records of Jesus's life by his followers. But at the same time, we also see it outside the Bible. And I think that's what people are, are really surprised by is that, there are a number of, of writers, non-Christian writers, in the first hundred years after Jesus that speak about his life, about his teaching, about his, his death. And so, 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 so first of all, just helping people to come to an understanding that this Jesus was a, was a real person, and that beyond that, he claimed to be God, which um, is a pretty audacious claim, I would say, so, <laughs> yes. to, to say that you're God. So. So yeah, the question, you know, if you met somebody on the street corner and they were saying they were God, you probably think they're a little bit loony. But if they started doing miracles <laughs> or if there mm. was some remarkable prophecies that they fulfilled, you might start thinking, well, maybe there is something to this claim. And I, I think that's the case with, with Jesus when we begin to look at him. John Hopper here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the book at questioninggod.com. The Search Ministries national site is Search National. Org. Well, it's back now to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Winter 2022 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte. The author of the book, When God Changed His Mind, A True Story of Trial, Triumph, and Finding Joy Beyond Circumstances, Christina Custodio shared about how God worked when it appeared her son was on the verge of dying. Here now from that conversation is Christina Custodio. I guess you don't know what kind of faith you have until it's tested. And I always felt that I had faith, but um, this definitely was a test of it. And, you know, if God could have been in front of me, I, maybe he would have said, all right, you remember what you said? Mm. Let's see 
let's see if if you believe that if you are going to keep true to your promise that these are my children mm. and not yours yeah and i mean it it could only be the holy spirit you know that was there in the situation because god said he sent the holy spirit to help us and i think that was a reminder and i thought i like to keep my promises so my response had to be what I promised that I knew that he was in control and they were his. And so I, I just believed that he was going to handle it. And I knew that it was going to, however it turned out, Mm -hmm. I was going to glorify God, Yeah. whatever. I didn't know what the story would be, but I knew that that had to be my response and I wanted to be responsible with whatever story he chose to give me and my family. Christina Custodio joining us today here on the Meeting House on Faith Radio, the author of the book, When God Changed His Mind. And you have Isaiah now having suffered a severe brain hemorrhage. I assume was he in a a coma? He or? was he was not. They did he, after the surgery, they had to put him in an induced okay. coma for a certain time. Yes. Yeah. What was the prognosis from the medical staff? They well, they didn't really know. Hmm. When the doctor sat with us before surgery, he probably said in three or four different ways he wanted us to understand that Isaiah could die. And he believed that he would. Wow. Because looking at the pictures of his brain and looking, everything was starting to shut down. He did not think he would live. He said he would do the best he could, but he wanted us to understand what could happen. And so there was a point where I just said, are you required to continue telling me this? Because I got it. <laughs> yeah. I understand. Okay, now go fix him. Yeah, that's enough. Right. Uh, right. Right. All right. So let's, let's unveil now for our listeners. The, we kind of hit it at it. Things got... Things got better. Yes. Tell me the rest of the story, if you will, as far as Isaiah's recovery. Okay. He came out of surgery and he was okay. Well, we weren't quite sure, Mm -hmm. but he lived. He survived the surgery. And each day he got a little bit better and a little bit better. In fact, much quicker than doctors and nurses thought he would. You know, they said, and we didn't know if he would wake up and know us. We didn't know if he would be a vegetable because there was a significant amount of blood in his brain, which I learned when that happens, part of the brain dies. It actually Mm. dies. And so his brain was going to have to recover and reroute things. But he could not walk or talk or smile. That was hard, actually, Mm, for him to be awake. And he was always a smiley kid. And Mm. I was very concerned about that. Would he smile again? You know, would he be Isaiah again? And but each day God showed out because we saw a little bit of little bit more and more of him. And it took him while he had to go through every kind of therapy. We were in the hospital for 44 days. I lived there with him and my husband was home with the girls and, um, it was it was a miracle each day that he showed us something. Mm. We were able to see something more each day. Yeah. And so now fast forward, this took place, what, about six, five, six years ago? Yes, it was 
September 8th, 2015. Okay. So tell me about how Isaiah is doing today. Today, he is 19 years old, and he is a sophomore in college, and he he is um, studying communications, and I believe that God has put that on his heart so that he can continue to tell his story. Christina Custodio here on The Intersection. You can find her at Christina Custodio, that's C-U-S-T-O-D-I-O dot com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. There on the homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. You can also find links to The Intersection, to the Media Center, as well as The Intersection Podcast feed via Apple Podcast. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the Winter 2022 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte. That and more can be found through the Meeting House homepage. That is at meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Content from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and more. Well, it's back now to Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the Winter 2022 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte. I had the chance to talk with Beth Guckenberger, co-founder and co-executive director with husband Todd of Back to Back Ministries. In our conversation, she discussed principles from her book, Throw the First Punch, Defeating the Enemy, Hell-Bent on Your Destruction. From that conversation, this is Beth Guckenberger now. I was in a meeting with a group of other Christian leaders, and we were struggling to get through our agenda. And I said to them, you know what? We are not the only person with an agenda in this room. There's an enemy, and he has an agenda, and it's to destroy the things that God's doing. And... The truth of the matter is, I know that verse in Ephesians 6, it says, put on my armor of God. And I know that passage in First Peter that talks about the enemies like a lion roaring around wanting to destroy. But the problem sometimes when we sew those teachings together is it's like, I'm supposed to put my armor on and wait for the lion to come get me. Well, he just does the same thing over and over again. And why does he get to go first? If I know what he's going to do, <laughs> I want to throw the first punch. I want to be spiritually on the offense, spiritually aggressive. Um, we have more power. It says in Exodus, there's more power in the finger of God than there is in all the enemy power combined. And so just walking in that truth. And I don't feel like I have to work very hard to convince your listeners that we're in a battle. Yes, we are. So when you talk about throwing the first punch, is it a matter of going out looking for trouble? (laughs) That's a great (laughs) question. I do think he does call us to go into dark places. But we have tools in our tool belt. And really what my heart was was to to let's identify what kind of tools we have. And then the book is a series of stories and teachings of moments when as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, as a ministry leader, as all the different hats I wear, when I could feel darkness, when I could sense the evil had an agenda. And it's really tempting to blame, as you mentioned, other people or to blame ourselves when things start falling apart. And this is just to give us eyes and tools to realize what we have in our hand that we can use to fight against a battle we can't always see. 
So what do you see as perhaps some of the principles that believers can apply when engaged in spiritual battle? Now, the battle will, I mean, the enemy, he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He roams about like a roaring lion. Yes. So we recognize that he's going to come. Yes. And even when he's not seemingly around. Yes. There are still these tools that are at our disposal on a constant basis. So how do we how do we use them and how do we know how to use them and when to use them? I think that's a great question. And some of the tools are tools that maybe we've all, we would already think about. Tools like the power of prayer, tools like um the the application of scripture. To, you know, there are lots of tools, but there are also other tools that we talk about in the book. I think confession is one of our strongest weapons we have because unconfessed sin is a place the enemy can build a stronghold or a foothold. Um, I think, I think the in fellowship and building um, confessional communities where we make a determination with other people that we're serving alongside that we're going to live and walk in the light. There are so, and the other thing that I think is amazing is that one of the enemy's tactics is. He makes us seem like he and God are like these equal-sized rivals. Like we have an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. And there's all kinds of caricatures and cartoons that depict spiritual Mm. warfare as if these rivals are the same size. And part of what I try to do in the teaching is let's right-size the enemy and right-size God. And in within that reality, you, you, you naturally build some spiritual confidence that allows you the space to walk into things that might otherwise intimidate us. Beth Guckenberger here on The Intersection. The book website is firstpunchbook.com. She can be found at recklessfaith.com. And the ministry website is back2back.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection Podcast, it's Sheila Kilbane, a physician who has written a book called Healthy Kids, Happy Moms, Seven Steps to Heal and Prevent Common Childhood Illnesses. In a conversation at the Winter 2022 Christian Product Expo in Charlotte, she discussed healthy practices that mothers can promote to their children and explored connections between health, nutrition, and the Christian faith. From that conversation, this is Sheila Kilbane now. Integrative medicine, it's the blending of conventional medicine along with more natural and nutritional type therapies. So we, I always, I like to think of it as the best of both worlds. And it, I, I started practicing this because when I, shortly out of residency, I realized that the kids that I was seeing who had things such as eczema, chronic runny nose, constipation, recurrent ear and sinus infections, asthma, allergies, you know, belly pain, is we would give them a medication, whether it was a steroid or an antibiotic, we would give them the medication for two weeks, they would get better for two weeks, and then they would be back in the office once the medication was stopped. So I kind of, I'm not somebody who's going to keep doing the same thing over and over if it's not working. So I started to really read and study and realized what a profound impact nutrition had on these kids on the health of these children so I started to shift the nutrition and add you know a few different supplements and it was profound what I was Mm. seeing and once you see one of these kids health improve so significantly you want to scream it from a mountaintop so and, and it was such a because it wasn't part of our nutrition we get very almost no nutrition training 
in medical school and residency, at least when I trained, trained, it's starting to shift now, but it, we really didn't get, get that nutrition training. So as I studied this and saw these big changes, I really just thought how, I can't believe we didn't learn about this. And, you know, as I started practicing more and more, just realizing how, how I just had a much bigger toolbox to start helping these kids. All right, so we've got the the physical element, just treating it from the standard medical standpoint. We've got the nutritional element. I want to add another element into the mix now, and that is the the faith element, the Christian element with respect to children's health and really with respect to why you do what you do. So let's first of all talk about your own personal faith, how that really is something that drives your medical and nutritional practice. Yeah, so when I, and it was actually when I was in medical school, I started to realize more and more how breathing and physical movement kept me more kind of connected to myself, connected to God. And it, I was also able to focus better. So I knew that I had to keep myself physically and emotionally healthy so that I could do what I wanted to do. And as, as we continue to move through, you know, as I continued practicing, I realized how profoundly what was going on in the household impacted the kids. Hmm. So if, if mom and dad are really stressed, we could have the kids on perfect nutrition and perfect supplements, but they're, the kids' bodies are going to be in fight or flight because they're going to be, they're going to um, kind of, they're going to be resonating with the adults in the household. So if we really look at how, you know, what does faith mean and what are, you know, how are we guided to live and it's about living in that state of inner peace so if we are doing what we can to cultivate that and keep our relationships you know in as healthy as they can be that's what keeps the home environment in that more of that relaxed state which we call parasympathetic so it's the part of our nervous system that helps us relax and that's also what helps us to digest food it's what it helps us to get into good sleep it supports our immune system so it's it sounds like it's uh, far away but it's all completely intertwined Sheila Kilbane here on The Intersection. You can find her online at Sheila Kilbane, K-I-L-B-A-N-E dot com. We're nearing the end of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find that link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. There are also links to the podcast, to the Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House, and the other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also find links to my Twitter feed, as well as The Meeting House Facebook page, plus there's a link to video content via the Faith Radio YouTube channel. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.